Hey guys, welcome to the Next Level Agents Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-host, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast all about getting to the next level. Sometimes we talk to real estate agents, sometimes brokers, sometimes people just in and around our space, and sometimes just entrepreneurs in general. But our point here is to talk to the brightest and the best and to pull gold nuggets out of them and bring them to you so that way you can take little actionable pieces of advice, sometimes big actionable pieces of advice and make your business even better and help you get to the next level. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, go over to ratethispodcast.com, ratethispodcast.com forward slash NLA, stands for Next Level Agents, and please leave us a five-star review if you have not already. All right, without further ado, welcome to today's episode. Ben. First of all, I don't know if you if you and Fred have actually ever met or not. You might have been in the same room a couple of times at Joe's office. Um, but Ben, Fred, Fred, Ben. Good to see you, Ben. Thanks for doing this, man. We're happy to have you here. Excited for this. I, I love it. I'm happy to hang out with you guys. I mean, obviously, no Kevin. So this is you guys are cool. And I'm glad that uh I'm glad glad you guys have been messing with this one. Yeah. Right? It's uh man, that's been the topic of uh a lot of conversations, you know, both that we've had. And uh, as it pertains to our business, kind of how we processed it and thought about it, I've, I've actually quite literally uh, have had the last two coaching calls with my with my coach, who I just found out her coach is Dan. I didn't even know this. Um, and my last two calls with her have basically been all about this book and how it just was really messing with my head. And so I'm I'm excited for this. And I've talked to a lot of the folks that are- In a good way, Ben, yeah, while we preface that there. Yeah. In a really good way. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then even some of our, you know, some of our folks that are here watching us live, uh, a lot more of our book club will be able to watch this recording as well. But I noticed some of the people on, like I've just had phone calls with and text message exchanges after they read the book. And and I'll, all I'll say is you've got a lot of people thinking, uh, thinking heavily. And I think this messed with a lot of people's heads in the best way. So I'm excited for this convo, man. Dude, I'm really glad. And I love, uh, uh, happy to go in any direction you want slash this beautiful community wants, share the things I've learned since staying right in the book, uh, whatever you guys want to talk about. Happy to just, happy to be here. And I like that it's messed with your heads. It messes with my head too, man. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, hey, for those of you that are uh, already on, you joined us on time today. Thank you guys for being here and part of this interview. Uh, we actually have a room of uh, 20 people that Kevin and I are spending some time with right now in Park City, Utah, Ben. And so they're watching this interview uh, just a couple blocks away from where we're doing it uh, in a big room. Uh, but I want to give everybody an opportunity. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say thank you for joining us and, and thank you for being here. Uh, I know some of you have devoured the book and completed it. Some of you are in the middle of it and others are uh, are still getting ready to crack it open. No matter where you're at, we're, we're still glad you're here and very excited you tuned in. Um, we want to give you guys an opportunity to put some questions in the chat. Uh, we did this with uh, Joe Polish several months ago, as you know, Ben. And uh, unfortunately, we kind of ran out of time and didn't get through everybody's questions. So I want to start at the beginning and just say, if you've got a question for Ben, uh, please go ahead and type that in the chat box. We will, uh, or in the Q&A box, and we will do our very best here to uh, incorporate that over the next hour or so. Yeah. And you know what? Why don't we jump off there, Ben, if you don't mind? You you and I obviously first met at Joe's office. Uh, I, I'd heard you speak at, at Joe's big annual event, uh, the Genius Network annual event. Uh, and then, of course, as a member of, of the Genius Network, I'm curious for, for you, how has been around how has being around Joe changed things for you and kind of being around somebody who's got a network like that? And how have you been able to 
because you haven't just been a member, like you, you participated at a high level. And it seems to me that you're getting like you're getting your money's worth and then some. And so tell me a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've got yeah, kind of a different view on networks. Um, for me, it's it's always about uh, certainly friendships. Like, I mean, you know, even you, like, I mean, we haven't talked tons even in the last couple of years, but like, I know you, like, I, I think you're awesome. And I, I'm insanely humbled by that. Um, and so it is interesting just to, get in different groups and, and certainly uh there's a whole concept even we even talk about this in chapter six of this book called psychographic alignment which is really just honestly about putting yourself in the same groups with people with similar identities and goals and um psychology and so i think that there's something huge about that and i think uh being around joe and his generosity and um uh, it's one thing I will say is, is that when I first joined, I definitely joined with a non-transactional approach. And so like, yeah, I, I was a brand new, I was still a PhD student. I had bare, you know, I just made a good chunk of money. Um, nothing, nothing compared to a lot of the people in that room, but I immediately invested the $25,000 to be in that room, to be in that psychographic energy, you know, to be around the psychology and the insights and, and, um, I never really worried about the $25,000. I was mostly interested in being in the room. I believe in peak experiences. Um, I've actually recently read a book by Richard Koch. He wrote The 80-20 Principle, and he wrote a book called Unreasonable Success. Yes. Have you read that one? Uh, I, I just started it. I just heard his interview with Tim Ferriss. Uh, we yeah. talked about that book quite a bit, so I, it prompted me to go buy the book. Yeah. The only reason I lo- uh, love that, well, I love the book, but I love Richard Koch. His book, The 80-20 Individual. Um, I actually wish I'd read it when I wrote this. I would have changed a few things about this book. But um, one of the things he talks about with unreasonable success is, is just that, you know, there are a few pillars of people who achieve unreasonable success. I'm talking like Jeff Bezos. I'm talking about Einstein. I'm talking about Beethoven. Like, we're just kind of like, this is, there's success. And then there's like, icon, you know, and like, he he's mostly focused on those people. But one of the things he talks about is, is like, these people have unreasonable, like self-belief but that doesn't come out of nowhere. Like they believe in a massive future self. Like, you know, I'm going to be the president of the United States. Just kind of weird things. They have huge expectations, but the thing about it is, is that um, the third component is that they regularly have transformational experiences and that it's those transformational experiences that actually build that self-belief and build those high expectations. And, And I just think regularly having those. And so certainly being a part of that community has, you know, and, and me just seeking peak experiences, uh, expansive experiences has been huge. Uh, the other thing I would say is, is definitely like I come at it as a long-term game. Like, so met you, you know, five years ago, um, you know, people go through peaks and valleys over years. Like there's times when I've been really close to Joe and really engaged in the group. And there's times where like, I'm having kids and I kind of disappear for six, eight months, or I'm writing a book and I really disappear. Um, but I come back, you know, and like, I'm, I'm, and then there's the other component is, is I just look for where can I create 10x relationships, you know, like as an example with Dan, like, you know, just seeing an opportunity where it's like, if I come in here, I can dramatically make a, a difference and just look for the, you know, the 20% of people that you can make, you know, 10x difference for. It's awesome. I, I, I love that. Uh, love that insight. And just that approach to getting in rooms. I'm a big fan of getting in a room and seeing where it goes without this predetermined, I got to get this. I, I think you said best is you didn't view it as transactional. You just wanted to be in the room and see what happens. 
I knew I'd, you know, and I'd come out, I know I was going to create those peak experiences that would at least be big for me, but hopefully I could create some relationships as well, where I could make it big for other people as well. Yeah. So this was the, moving on to the book, you, this was the third book now that you've done with Dan, right? And it, and it turned out to be the last. Really? Yeah. We were planning on doing 10 books together. Um, but through the writing process of of honestly, even the gap in the game, but particularly this book, um, you know, my own call it my own future self has evolved a lot uh, since, you know, I wrote who, not how. Um, and so I, we did try, I tried to renegotiate the situation because uh, these books have made tens of many, you know, many tens of millions of dollars for strategic coach. And so I wanted to just reset it up, but it, it got really complex. And so it turned out we just, said this will be the last one oh, i already that. knew that i already knew the next trilogy but um we just couldn't come to an agreement and so this is the last book it's the kind of top of the top of you know it's the peak of peak of the mountain and uh is awesome so you mentioned so these three books together the gap in the gain who not how and and 10x is easier than two like thinking about the first two books gap in the gain and who not how um how how would you rate those as importance or how, you know, how would you um, I guess put it into words, the importance of those, those two books have and actually living a two X or excuse me, a 10 X life and going from two X to 10 X. Crucial. Absolutely crucial. Um, we were very thoughtful in the ordering of when we published those books. I mean, I chose them all. Um, Dan never tell, told me which book to write. I walked up to him and said, I want to write who, not how. Then I dug in through his material and I knew it was going to be 10 X and the gap and the gain. Uh, and we even, I think talked about this on the audiobook. and he was like, you know, I was like, these are the two books I want to do next. And he's like, well, let's do gap and gain first so that we can make sure that when people go 10 X, they do it in the gain rather than in the gap. Cause if, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's increasingly important to understand these mindsets. I mean, you're not going to go 10x very often or very far or very quickly if you're trying to do it all with how. Like, you know, getting the right people both on your team but also collaborators, I mean, makes it so possible. Um and so like how I look at it is this, like one of the things I wrote about in this book in chapter 1 is Dr. Alan Bernard's research on impossible goals. So like impossible goals are easier because they force you out of your current assumptions. Like if I'm not going for an impossible goal, that means I believe it's possible. That means I believe I know how to do it. But if I change the goal and make it truly impossible, where I honestly don't know how to do it, that's the best place to start because now I'm no longer operating from my past. Now I can actually say, what are the few things that might make this possible goal, this impossible goal possible? And usually those are who's. Usually they're relationships that have, I mean, certainly there's a few strategies and stuff like that, but usually it's people. It's people that open massive doors or people you can work with and relate to. Just as a simple example, there's someone on my team now who is essentially like my media person, mostly focused on my brand. And like, he's going to be helping me 10X my YouTube channel. Just this week, I was out in California. I went on Prince EA's podcast. I went on Ed Milet's podcast. You know, and like I'm doing bigger things. None of that would be possible. I mean, certainly I could, try to figure it out on my own. It wouldn't, but like him, he just is a master at it. And so like, you know, and he even knows which who's to get so that he can, you know, and so yeah, he knows which who's to get around him so that he can be as effective as possible. So I, I just think you really want to, similar to what we said in that book, view it as an investment, not a cost. Obviously you want to be wise with that investment, but 
one of the things, and I'll, sorry, one of the things he actually did say in the 80-20 individual is this. So Richard Koch talks about in even huge organizations, we're talking Microsoft with 50,000 employees. Um, Bill Gates said, if you took away our top 20 people, this company would cease to exist. It's like, there's a few people that are driving all the growth. Like, you know, there's a few people in that 20%. And so if you can collaborate, team with, and bring on those, he even did the math. If you bring on like one of those 80, 20 people, like one of those people who are really good, they're worth um, 16X the money you pay them. And he like literally does all the math. Like, and so I'm learning more and more of the power of definitely who, not how. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. We got a first question from the audience uh, from our friend, John. He said, if you could tie who, not how, get the gap in the game and 10X is easier than 2X up into a tiny little bow, how would you summarize that series? By the way, he thinks it's one of the best trilogies he's ever read. Thank you. It was fun to write. I'll just tell you it was fun to write. Um, I think that this book sums it up in a bow. Um, but, you know, if I could sum it up in a bow, um, let me show my screen. I don't want to, I want to try to be as concise as possible. Yeah, I'm going to do it. You guys care if I just show my screen? Oh, go for oh, it, man. Please. I, I, I want to tie it in a bow, but this is, this is my way of doing it as a psychologist. So let me, whenever I can get access. Oh. Um, so <clears throat> how I believe, I believe that this book teaches you how to have mastery over your past. And I believe that this book helps you have mastery over your present and your future. Um, and, and, and really they go together. So I'm going to explain that in as simple way as possible. So you've probably, or some people, if you've watched my YouTube videos, you've possibly seen me walk through this, but I'm going to just go hyper simple. So we're all in the present moment. We're all here. There's 24 participants chilling on this call. We're talking about the books, but everyone is having a very different experience because of your past and because of your future. And, and we're everything we experience in the present is based on how we filter our past and also how we filter our future. And so I'm going to give you the gap in the game first, but really my view is, is that these books really teach you how to operate so powerfully in the present because of what they teach you about how to handle your past and how to handle the future. So in simple terms, this is a very linear approach. Like this is saying that the past is, is determining the present. And this is, it's weird. This is how Westerners just view time. Um, this is not how everyone views time, but most people in the West here in America, even in Europe, we just assume that the past actually comes before the present. And that may sound weird because it, it, it's so natural, but that's not the only way to look at time. But anyways, this is just a common approach, which is just that who you are in the present is because of the past. And this is what we're really trying to teach in the gap in the gain, which is a more masterful and a more powerful approach to the past, which is rather than having the past cause the present, you actually have the present cause the meaning of the past. And one of the things that I've learned heavily is, is that the past, like the past is a skill. If you if you're not very skilled with the past, then you're not going to grow very much. You're not you're not going to gain a lot from your experiences. Um, and so, like as an example, even yesterday, so like who you are right now on this call, 
is not the same person as who you were last yesterday afternoon, like 24 hours ago. I'm not sure what you were doing, but if we, if you were to develop a little bit more mastery over your past, you would be able to look and say, how am I different from who I was 24 hours ago? How am I in a different place? Um, what have I learned that I didn't know yesterday? Um, and, and the more juice you can squeeze even out of small sections of time, like 24 hours, the more, uh, you'll, the more empowered you'll be in the present and the future. And so the gap in the gain really is all about mastery over your past and mm-hmm. recognizing the difference between your present self and your past self and appreciating that difference. And that that's, that's the only person you're really measuring yourself against is this. I'm not measuring myself against you. I'm not measuring myself against Dan or other authors who have sold more copies than me. This is my game. And, and what I'm doing is, is I'm turning my past into more and more of an asset rather than a liability. When I say asset, what I mean is even my biggest traumas or failures, I can turn those into my biggest gains. Uh, and they can be things that pay me, you know, in terms of an asset, they're things that pay my present and my future forevermore. And so they're my biggest assets. Whereas a lot of people, their past is a liability, meaning it's literally draining their present and future and they're blaming their limited present and future on their past. That's actually what trauma is, even though I'm not downplaying how debilitating that can be. When you gain mastery over your past, you're no longer competing with anyone else. You're continuously recognizing how different you are from your past self. And you're continuously stretching the value of even small sections of time like yesterday. But I'm also saying like, if I go back 90 days and say, how am I different from my past self 90 days ago? Um, It's insane how different me and my life are and even my access to who, not how. My who's are way better than they were 90 days ago. They're way more empowered. So this is this is the two X ways saying the past determines the present and the present is what determines the future. This is the linear approach. Um, and it's a linear approach to time, which is really not how time works. Time in physics is not linear and time in psychology is definitely nonlinear. But two X is a linear approach to life where it's saying this is the past. This is where I am now. And because of where I'm at now, let's just do more of it. You know, let's just double what we've done. And so you're literally taking the present and even your you know, whatever you've done in the past and you're saying, let's go for more. And that kind of, that, that, that basically is, is the two X mentality. It's not very transformational. Obviously this is the 10 X mentality rather than letting the present determine the future. You let the future determine the present and you Mm. actually let the present determine the past. So this is like such a, a nonlinear approach to time. And it's such a, and remember, this is the psychology of time, but it's how we operate. Um, but this is where you take a seemingly impossible future back to that idea of impossible goal. And the reason impossible is so powerful is because if it's impossible, then you you really can't access it from your past. Like it's impossible. And so you really don't know how to do it. And so then you use that filter to operate much more powerfully in the present to say, let's go find those new, op- you know, those 20% opportunities using the language of the book. And like, this is that language, like this is the core model. So like to take the last model I showed you and then show you this, and then I'm going to stop, but like, this is a long bow for you. Two X means that you can keep 80% of your existing life. Like you don't, you can keep the 80%. You don't have Mm -hmm. to change 80%. And so going back to this, that means that you can keep 80% of what's in the present and just change the future 20%. Whereas the 10 X model is the opposite. Like the future is so high, so impossible, but also so intrinsically exciting and motivating um, that you can only keep 
the best 20%. 80%'s gotta go. Like 80% of the present right here has no bearing on this future. Instead, you're letting the future determine what few things matter here. And so it makes you a lot more intentional, powerful, um, bold. Uh, and then you let go. You just let go of the 80% that doesn't matter. That That's a process. It takes time. But every time you go 10x, who not how becomes way, way, way more important because you need better who's to do it, uh, whether that's handling the 80% that you just can't focus on anymore or whether it's collaborating with 20% people um, you know, the few op those 80, 20 individuals where there's just a few people, you know, that you're operating with, with those people who like can just rocket ship what you're doing. And so, yeah, I just think that it's, uh, the books all fit together. Like, you know, the gap in the game teaches you how to master your past. 10 X helps you to master the, the present and the future. And then who not how just is, I guess who, who not how is how you handle the 80% and the 20%. You know, the things that are in your 80%, whether that's answering your email, booking your flights, whether it's me, you know, my guy doing my social media, all that stuff's gotta be done, but I'm not the one that's gonna do it. If I was doing it, that'd be in my 80%. My 20% is where I'm gonna gain mastery. Um, that's where I'm gonna become, that's what Dan would call unique ability. This is where I'm gonna like go deep. I'm gonna get 10 times better at that. And so hopefully that helps. I think I've let I think I've let who not how down a little bit because I really can't I can't say enough um, how increasingly important that becomes at every stage you go. The five people you spend your most time with do those people represent your future self or your past self? Um, even your you know your core team, even the, even even your five biggest checks, like your 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 five most congruent clients, like. Um, who not how is, is, is so big. When I was, when you were showing the, when you had the, the, the past, the present, the future, you see, and you mentioned going to the present to determine, or excuse me, go to the future to determine your, your present. What I thought of was the story in the book of your son with the soccer, I'm sorry, with tennis. And you yep. said, basically you changed the, you changed the future to, if he would be, if he's going to become a professional tennis player, and then that determined a different present. Is that, did I read that right? You read it powerfully. Let me just show you guys. Um, so this is my son, Caleb. This is him playing tennis. My son is a 15 year old tennis player. This is, this is profound. And I will show, unshow my screen in a second, but the implications of this are, are crazy. So basically my son wants to be a college tennis player. And his coach, and I wrote about this in chapter one of the book, but I want to explain this principle to you, like even how I apply it. But basically his coach said, well, why isn't your goal to go pro? And he just, it was just not his goal, honestly. Um, so I said, Caleb, will your current trajectory get you to college? He said, he said, I don't know. But I said, what about pro? Would your current trajectory get you to pro? And he said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and what I wrote about in the book is, is that here in Orlando, Florida, there are literally hundreds of pathways that could get him to this level, but there are very few that could get him to this level. When you go up 10X, and I would just consider this like a 10X jump, like that's, that's kind of a representation of 10X. There's a lot fewer pathways to a 10X goal than a 2X goal, right? Like, um, and this actually is why it's effective is because if he actually made this his goal, 
we couldn't deal with all of these options. Most of these options just are generally not in this ballpark. And so that's the whole idea of if you have an impossible goal, there's a there's very few things that would get you there. There's very few things that would genuinely get my son from where he's at to pro. Like the chances are like less than 1%. Um, that doesn't mean that, it, that he can't literally like strategically get there. Like just because something has low probability doesn't mean you can't master the process of achieving that impossible stuff. That's what this is all about. But it would force us to be really, really thoughtful about the few things that would get him there because most things wouldn't. And so that's that's actually the point is, is that, uh, but but now just, and so one other thing I want to just say, Kevin, and then I'll kind of share it with my own self and then invite anyone else to think about their own self. But if this was his goal, college, then that would be his future self. That would be what his future, like his eyes are pointing towards in the future. And, and the goal shapes the process. So the goal not only shapes your process in terms of like, who's my coach? What am I working on? What are my skills, right? Like going for the college has its own 20%. Mm -hmm. Going for pro has a different 20% that you would have to focus on. And so if this was his goal, then that would be what his eyes, his attention, and his focus is pointing towards. And that's what his daily experiences would be pointing towards. And so that if that was his goal, that would literally shape a different Caleb over the next three years than if this was his goal. If this was his goal up here, it would sh then his eyes would be looking towards something different, not just his physical eyes, but the eyes of his attention and his process, like his path his iteration, his personal evolution would be different depending on the goal he's going towards. And a much higher goal has a much harder growth curve, like a much higher growth curve. So his days, like literally every day between now and then would look fundamentally different if this was his goal or if this was his goal. How he would have to train, like what he would have to think, what he would have to learn, the things he would have to unlearn if this was his goal. Like literally your goal shapes your process. If you're going for a 2X goal, you really don't have to change that much. And you can be pretty sloppy. Whereas if this becomes your goal, you've got to become a lot more refined and masterful at the few things that truly matter. And you got like, you ultimately are going to have to let go of everything else. And so just in terms of really simple, uh, and by the way, the psychological term for that is called deliberate practice. Like, uh, am, am I overblowing it right now? No, no you're good. Okay. You're good well, I, I just think this is crazy. So I, I use the term in the book, fitness function. Fitness function is basically just the idea that we all have a standard we're, we're, we're shooting for. I actually have a crazy, can I tell you guys a story? Yes. Please. Simple story. So it was a guy who read this book. He read it back in March because we sent out an early copy. Do, do you happen to know Lisa Sini? No. She's been in Genius for a long time. She's um, she's Italian. She lives out in uh, Columbus, Ohio. She's a uh, She's an interior designer, pretty famous interior designer out in Columbus. So anyways, this is a really simple story of her husband, Greg. Her husband, Greg, is 56 years old. 56 years old. I just want you guys to hear this story. And actually, uh, you guys can get more context on the story. You guys can get more context on the story here. I just threw a YouTube video into the chat. I, I interviewed Greg and I kind of break down this story, but I'm going to give it to you in short, like very short. So back in 2018, he left working with his wife, Lisa, who's an interior designer, and she designs buildings for, for communities of people with dementia. So basically, she interior designs for 
care centers in a lot of ways, or even just homes of elderly people with dementia. And she helps make that possible. So Greg really likes that community, and but he's also interested in commercial real estate. And so five years ago, back in 2018, he left working with his wife and he wanted to create care centers for people with dementia. And so anyways, 2018 is when he started the company. In 2019, they finished their first project. It was like a, they built, they developed like an $11 million building. And it was big building with like 90 beds. And he ended up having like a hundred employees, people who staffed the like 90 people who lived in this care center, right? Then COVID hits, bang. And so prices of everything go up, supply chains are shocked, you know? And so a year or two goes by and he's not making very much progress. Also the prices shoot through the roof to, to develop these kind of communities or develop these kind of buildings. Well, anyways, this is where 2023 comes in. And this is where the story comes in and what I just was explaining on how the goal shapes the process. So it's, it's early 2023, like call it January and February, beginning of this year, Greg's 56 years old. And he just ultimately decides on a 10-year plan. And his 10-year plan, by the time he's 65, so he's 56, nine to 10-year plan, he said, my plan is to just have two more buildings developed. These are big buildings, you know, and to have big building, you know, great buildings um, and to have care centers in there and then to ultimately sell it as a package and to get a windfall, you know, he'll sell the the three buildings and the centers. And anyways, he ends up reading this book. So this is back in March and it hits him like a ton of bricks. Like, he's like, what the heck am I doing? He's like, I've got a 10 year goal to get these two properties. So essentially he wants to have three properties in 10 years. And he's just like, this is, what am I doing? And, and he, and so ultimately he changes his goal rather than having three buildings in 10 years, he decides I'm going to have 10 buildings in three. Fundamentally different goal. Um, and so obviously what happens is, is the goal shapes the process. He can't go about it in his former way to get to those 10 properties. He, he was dogmatic. He believed he had to develop the properties. Um, and usually we will all do this. If you look at your own goals, chances are we're all quite dogmatic in how we think we must get them done. Um, part of making the goal impossible back to the idea of rather than operating from the past and the present into the future, it's a lot more powerful to have an impossible, exciting future, because then that gets you out of your dogma of your current fixed mindset about this is how I have to do it. So because his goal was so massive and his timeline now even felt impossible, he finally became open to new potential pathways, new 20% things, new 20% options and strategies. He was talking to Lisa and she's like, you know, you really should just start acquiring buildings. She's like, there's a lot of great buildings in Columbus that you can sort of, you know, redesign and do that. And he's, he's like, you're absolutely right. I can't do this goal through development. I have to do it through acquisition. And so he literally immediately called his friend who buys real estate like that. And his friend said, you won't believe this. There are literally two properties in Columbus right now that I would have bought, but I don't have the finances. So long story short, not to go too into all the details, within 60 days, Greg has two new buildings and he went from 100 employees to 300. And he went through that whole process. And so by, so by April, literally he read the book in, in March, by end of April, he's got the two buildings and staffed them and even has people in the units. He said he, he grew more during that two, two month period of time than he had in the previous 10 years. Um, and then I met him. 
I met him in August and he told me all this. He's like, Ben, because I'd never met him in person. He'd actually read all my books all the way back to willpower doesn't work. But he's like, Ben, I want to tell you this story. He's like, I changed my goal. He's like, we have those three buildings now. Essentially, he achieved his 10-year goal in two months, right? And I said, dude, that's insane. That's that's crazy. He's like, yeah, we went from 100 to 300 employees this year. And he's like, and all of them are profitable. He's like, he's like, we realized we have really good systems and stuff. So he's doing great. I said, well, Greg, what is your impossible goal before the end of 2023? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, Greg, I was like, before the end of this year, what's your impossible goal? What is something you believe would be impossible? Genuinely, like, let's be honest, that you believe is not only unlikely, but you might even think it's impossible. He sat with that. And I, this was literally 18 days ago, like on August 1st. So he sat with it, thought about it, and then wrote it down. He actually printed it and then laminated it and shared it with his wife. And his impossible goal was to get three more buildings before the end of the year. Hmm. And he shared it with his wife. And then the next day, his his business partner called him and said, dude, there's three uh, possible buildings one of them is a little outside of Columbus. And he had the former rule that they had to all be in Columbus. But he, I said, dude, if you're going to go for 10 in that space of time, you might need to broaden your horizons a little bit. So anyways, he's put, this was just two weeks ago. He's put the offer on it. He's pretty sure he's going to get it. And even another property has come that is exactly what they're looking for. And he's put an offer on that. And so it's likely he's going to end this year with seven of these buildings and communities and probably 600 plus employees this year. When, you know, when he was operating from that smaller goal, and I'm only sharing this because this is a, an example of Caleb's goal of college or pro and about how the goal shapes the process is, is that he's going to end this year with six or seven buildings, six X, the employees, probably 20 X, the value of his company. And he's having a blast. He's honestly so happy. He said his team has grown so much and he's learned so much and in an end. It's a lot of who, not how. He couldn't have done all that without the who's of finding the properties. He had to rely more on his leadership team to really grow and accomplish these massive goals. And so he he's had to get, he's had to really trust his who's more and his who's, and, he, and he's had to let, he's had to get, make sure that the who's can really show up. And so I just give that as another example. It's fantastic. Hey, this ben, guy is cool. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. I, I want to go back to, you know, the story about your son. And uh, I appreciate the family story right in here because you shared, uh, I, I think it was chapter six or towards the conclusion, like some more stuff that happened in your life, you know, as, as writing the book. But um, the graphic you just showed where when you're going 2x, 80% gets to stay the same and only 20% has to change versus when you go 10x, only 20% roughly stays the same and 80% has to change. Can you... I mean, I think for myself and probably others, like when we think of that change, maybe the first thing we have to overcome is like ourselves getting our heads around that much change, right? Like it's no longer 80% staying the same. Now it's only 20%. Like I might be able to get over that, but like the family impact of that. And I don't know, you know, how personal you want to get or not, but I, I got to imagine there's been some family impact at home as you've gone through this journey uh, of accepting 10X, knowing that like, there's going to be less that stays the same. More is going to change. And some people are more, more apt to change than others, right? And so I got to imagine, I don't, I don't know if you have other stories or personal ones of just kind of how that journey's gone in your household, but I'd, I'd just love to kind of talk on that for a few minutes. I think it's beautiful. Uh, obviously, other people in this room have just as interesting of insights, if not better insights, but here's 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 what I'll say. 80% absolutely goes 
But this 20%, although it still exists in some form at 10x, it exists in a very different form at 10x. Um, this is actually what you do take 10x. You actually 10x this in terms of quality. This is what 10x is. You 10x the 20% and you get rid of the 80%. And so this is actually what you 10x in terms of quality, value. Um, so like I'll give I'll give two examples and I'll kind of explain. Uh, how it impacted me. So like, for example, one of my 10 X's was back when I was a graduate student, first year PhD student, my 10 X call it future self was to become a professional author. I really wanted to get a big, big, I wanted to get a big book deal, a six figure book deal. And that was because my, me and my wife actually had just become foster parents of our three kids that we now have adopted. So this was back in 2015, 2015. I'm in my first year of my PhD program. My 10X future self is a, as a six-figure author, you know, because I want to get a book deal. I want to write books like this, but I also want to be able to provide for my family. Um, and so like that clarified my 20%, which at the time ultimately ended up becoming largely writing really viral blog posts on medium.com, which is right around probably the time I met Kevin, because like that was my 20% because I needed to get really good at blogging and getting an email list so that I could get that six-figure book deal. Um, my 80% was so many things. So I guess here's kind of how I look at it is, and I ultimately did do that. Um, but for me, my family is always in my 20%. Like it's, it's like, that's a big part of my future self. And my family matters more to me than these books. And so like, um, like I have, like, I always try to make sure that my goals, um, even if they're business goals, uh, improve me in the core areas where I want to see my future self. So even that goal, I call it a keystone goal because a keystone on an arch is the, the thing that holds the arch together. Like if you know what a keystone is, arches, if you block and there, there's a center stone and if you knock that keystone out, the key, you know, the whole arch collapses. And so for me, the keystone goal was to get the six figure book deal, but it was a keystone goal because it was the one goal that helped me achieve everything else I wanted to achieve, which was provide well for my family, have more free time so that I could be with my family. It also improved me as a thinker, isn't it? And it, you know, so it was, it achieved my individual goals, my family goals, and even my situational financial goals. Um, in terms of right now, like there are uncertainties when it comes to, comes to this. A lot of people shouldn't go 10x. Like it's it's probably not good for their psychology. Being in the gain really helps. Like me staying in the gain and saying, you know what? Yeah, I've got a lot of uncertainty about my future. There's a lot of things I got to figure out. But if I look back on just the last 90 days, like I'm in a different place. Like I'm making big progress, reminding myself of that, staying there and staying out of the gap really is important. But I do think it's important that you don't eliminate all of the 80% at once. Like I, I'm, I kind of have a, an extreme approach where like, if I get really excited about something or committed to it, like I'm going to go for it. Um, but I think that you kind of have to be wise about how you let go of this 80% and like do it bit by bit. So like, as an example, like my example, my example of letting go of my collaboration with Dan, like that wasn't an easy decision. Like, and that was kind of, that took months to kind of ultimately decide because I love doing these books and like, but I was letting my 10 X future shape my 20%. And if, and if that relationship didn't evolve, it would have to go to the 80%. And that was, that was a challenge. I've also, you know, this year I decided to let go of my coaching program, which generates seven figures of income for me and my family. It's like, it's, it's a great chunk of income. Like it's probably like 70% of my income. Um, and I decided, you know, 
halfway through this year that I was, that that was part of my 80% because that's not, that's, that's not what has my 10 X excitement. It's not what has my 10 X potential. Like if I let that go, um, you know, and ultimately go deeper and deeper into my, my new 20%, I think there's big upside, but like, I'm, I'm thoughtful about how I release these things. Like, I'm not just going to put my family at, you know, at risk. Um, but also to the point of my 20%, like there's a lot of aspects in my 20% about who I want to be as a dad, who I want to, you know, like I want to be a 10x better dad, a 10x better husband, 10x better, you know, follower of God. So like, there's certain things in my 20% that like, I want to get much better at for my future self. Um, so for me, I'm very holistic about it. I don't know if that helps, but Certainly, certainly I get my wife's input. Like, I mean, I asked my, my wife wanted me to stop writing books with Dan after this, you know, she's like, Ben, I think it's holding you back. I didn't think it was holding me back. I I freaking loved it. I really wanted to write this. And so I'm like, no, but like, she was, I think, you know, open conversations with me and my wife as an example, like even the letting go of my coaching business, like I, 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 I counsel and commune with, with my family and make sure that I'm not being, you know, putting them at risk and stuff like that. I mean, certainly I am, but, um, you know, being thoughtful about how I do it. The thought of letting go of a business that generates seven figures is hard to swallow. And I, you know, I think that the truth is like letting go of something that might generate five figures is probably hard to swallow for most people. And I know, I know that it is because I have conversations uh, with people about this all the time. Uh, and it, I guess. I mean, there's ways you to do what, it. You could you could sell it. I also don't have to get rid of it. I could just fully outsource and delegate it, right? There, I don't have to just close the doors. Like Dan's an example. Like Dan doesn't teach his lower levels of the program anymore. Like he doesn't teach the signature level or the 10x level, but that doesn't mean they ceased to exist. He's still getting, you know, the business still has revenue on there. He's just only teaching the third level, free zone level. So like, you don't have to get rid of it. In my case, I'm letting it go just because it's not, I mean, I could try to sell it, but I didn't really design it well in that manner. Um, and so, yeah, I did. I am letting that one go, but that doesn't mean like I, I could create something new and better that would likely create just as much as in, income in the future as I, if I want to, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not committed on that right now. Anyway, sorry to, to you know connect you there. No, that's okay. I just was thinking like the, the connection and belief in what your 10x is has probably got it's got to be substantial to be able to say i'm gonna let something go whether it's seven figures or not especially yeah. because i think a lot of us you got to believe in your future man yeah big time you have to and that's really you know i i come at psychology in such an interesting way like have you guys read uh man search for meaning have you heard yeah. of man search for meaning by yeah, Frankel? Frankel. you gotta yeah. read it like that's that's kind of um that was kind of my in intro into, I mean, my intro into psychology was actually more like, you know, <laughs> traumatic experiences growing up serving a church mission, but I'm talking about my education into like theoretical and philosophical psychology, which is the education I initially got. And then I went and studied leadership psychology, but Victor Frankl was such a big part of my initial education and Victor Frankl, his book, Man's Search for Meaning is one of those books that you know, it's a seminal work. It's considered probably one of the top 10 books of the you know 20th century and stuff and sold 50 million copies. It's one of those books you really, you, you probably should read like at least once a year. Um, but, um, you know, that was his experience in the concentration camps. You know, he was a, a Jewish psychiatrist from 
Austria and, you know, the Nazis took him and his wife and his parents into the concentration camps during World War II. And his parents got gassed and his wife ended up, who was pregnant, ended up dying. And and Frankel ultimately ended up writing about his experiences and the psychology of those experiences. And it really came down from his perspective to having a hope and purpose for your future. And that if you lost that, then the present loses meaning. And if the present loses meaning, and he the documents this very heavily in that book, you know, these people are in the worst conditions imaginable. They're being starved. They're sleeping on the dirt. They're having Nazis screaming at them, shooting the person next to them in the head. Like it's, they've had their whole life stripped from them. They're literally in the worst vacuum you could be in. And yet what Frankel said is, and this is what the whole book is about. And there's a lot of psychology behind this. And I could even go back to my model. Basically everything he did, because he was trying to help people maintain hope was basically helping them have a goal beyond the beyond the concentration camp that they could hold on to and have hope. And that would actually make their experiences meaningful. It would make their life meaningful. It would, it, you know, then he would always quote Nietzsche, when the why is strong enough, you can bear almost any how. And so like that whole book is about when you lose that future, when you lose that hope, then the present, like all of a sudden has no context. And like, you, especially when it's a challenging situation, it becomes too painful. And then you become retrospective with where you just wish things were the way they were. And ultimately in those conditions, the people died immediately. And so every, you know, yeah, I guess I would just say back to the idea of what you were saying, Kevin, about having a belief in the future. Like I actually believe it's imperative to a person's psychology. And Frankel would agree the that the quality of your life in the present is largely based on the on the um on the level of meaning and purpose you're striving to fulfill in your future. And if you don't have that, then life becomes pretty meaningless. Dude, you got to read the book. It's big. I mean, it's it's it, I just that's, downloaded that's where, it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where I come from in psychology. It's just like that the future and that's what Frankel believed. He was different than like say Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was very much of the uh I mean, in very simplistic terms, his his views were pretty cool, actually, Freud's. But Sigmund Freud was it was more in this this view, which was just if I want to understand who you are in the present, let's let, let's figure out what happened in the past. And and um, Frankel was more on this side of things, where he was saying that a person's psychology in the present, even if they're in a concentration camp, is largely based on whether or not they're connected to a future that gives that present meaning, that gives that present direction, that gives that present grit. You know, when the why is strong enough, you can bear almost anyhow. And he would even say your life can have meaning such that like you can be happy even if things suck, like you can be happy. Um, and so, you know, I think there's that Bible scripture that without people, pe without uh, vision, people perish. I think there's a lot of truth in that when it comes to psychology. Got a couple more questions here, if you don't mind, if we squeeze a few more in before we uh, let you get on with your day, Ben. But um, I'll let you go ahead. Yep, I'll pick up the first one. So first of all, uh, from Camille, who I referenced earlier, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, she's referred a lot of client, referred your work to a lot of her clients. Um, so one of the things that she said is they've often struggled with determining two things. Number one, what 10x looks like. 
Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, that was my last conversation with Camille last week and even part of the previous week. Uh, and then two, discerning what 80% to let go of. Could you speak a little bit more to one or even both of those if you were guiding someone towards more clarity based off your teaching? It's such beautiful questions, such practical questions. I love them. So one thing I think is important, I'm going to share just a few quick principles and I have a freaking epic framework um, that I've recently learned from Alan Bernard on getting better and better at clarifying the 20, re-clarifying the 80, letting go of the 80. So I'm just going to share a few principles. I hope this is satisfactory. So one thing that is very important, again, I we're living in the present, but again, our, our present is largely shaped by how we frame our past and how we frame our future. And whether or not we think that the present is driving us or whether or not we have the future driving us, that's those are massive differences in who you are being in the present. But it's super important. I, I It's easy for me to see this because I'm a writer and I, I can see from draft to draft how big a thing can change. If you guys had read some of the drafts of this book, I mean, if you could see the draft of the book I'm now writing, it is beyond trash like it is beyond trash and for so long this book was trash but then you go through a draft and it gets a little better and then a draft and it's changing and a draft and it's changing and a draft and so eventually it gets clear and better and have it makes quantum leaps and so the only reason i say that is is that i always view the past as a draft and the future as a draft and so right now my current view of yesterday is different than if I thought about it again in a couple hours, right? Or even of this conversation, right? Um, and even if I think back on my childhood, like my current view of it is a draft based on my current perspective. You know, the present is what causes the meaning of the past. And so I'm not tied to my view of my past or my future because it's just a draft. And so this fits also with the idea in that first question of how do you choose the 10X? Um, you can choose one right now that hopefully is useful. It should be intrinsically motivating. Like one, one, one key point of this right here is, is that you go for 2X, not because you want it, but honestly, just because like you might as well. Like, you know, like you, 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 it's, it's, it's not that exciting to go 2X to just to continue doing more of what you're already doing to, but, but maybe make it a little better. Whereas to go 10X, You've got to really be honest. And, and even in chapter three of the book, we had a whole breakdown of the difference between wanting and needing, which in my mind is just the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. But one starter is, is that your 10X is absolutely what you want and maybe what you're too afraid to admit to other people. So like a 10X doesn't have to literally be 10 times bigger. Like someone leaving a very lucrative job, even as an entrepreneur, and going and teaching at high school because that's what they genuinely want, that might be a 10X for them, right? Because that's like way more in alignment with what they absolutely want. Um, now, I'm not saying like that's an extreme example, right? But like, I'm just saying that your 10X is going to be very personal to you. And it's going to be what you absolutely most want. And this fits exactly with the, the story with Caleb as well. Like me as an example. Like for me missionary work is very important. Like I'm talking like missionary work in my church. And so like 
to me, I love that. And if I was thinking about my next 10X, it would be like mostly, like call it if you met Benjamin Hardy in like three or four years, maybe five years. Yeah, I'll probably be writing business books still. But like most of my time hopefully is uh, helping 10X the leadership in my church and maybe helping missionaries overcome their trauma and stuff like that because that stuff matters so much to me. That's my 10X. That has nothing to do with, and, and one point of this is, is that the 10 X's can be non-linear. What I mean by that is, is that you don't, you don't just keep doing more of the same. Like as my example of when I was a, a grad, you know, even getting into grad school was a 10 X for me. And then going from grad school to becoming a professional author, like that's, it's not like that path is just laid out. Like that was my choice. That was what I wanted really deeply. But then after I became a professional author, it's not like I, I didn't keep blogging on Medium. It's not like I, I I did go 10X on Medium. My blogs were read 100 million times, but I didn't say, okay, now how can I figure out how to get them viewed a billion times? Like my my next 10X was non-linear. It was in a different direction. It wasn't 10X more of what I just did. It was in a totally different direction. Now it's like, okay, now I really want to write really good books and really understand leadership and entrepreneurship and write really good books in that way. And so that then informed my next 20% because that's what I really wanted at that point in time. I just shared with you what I really want at this point in time, which would be call it my 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 version of this and how that's going to dictate my process and my own personal evolution. And it's going to be different for me. And so you got to be really honest about what you most want and what's most meaningful and purposeful back to Frankel, what what really matters. But using the insights of this book, even if this is really what you want, and I'm not, I'm not talking about college. I'm saying tennis, say it's tennis and tennis is just what you really want to, what you want to go into. You're actually better off making this your goal simply because it will help you clarify the few things that really matter. And it will help you let go of a lot of the things that don't, mm. and it will really simplify your process. And so even, so you want to choose something that matters, but then you do want to make it impossible because then that's, what's ultimately going to help you clarify that 20% and be a lot more honest about the 80% that holds you back. So I hope that helps a smidge when it comes to choosing the 10X. One other, I guess other thing, uh, other thing I will say is this, you can have a few, yeah, a few things. I mean, it shouldn't be a lot, but like as an example, like I really want a 10X, my, one of my, my business 10X is I really want to sell 10 million books. So like my books have sold about a million copies altogether, collectively, like, you know, like these books and whatnot, Future Self, like these books are all around sold a million copies. So like a business index is I would love to sell 10 million, um, even in the next three years. And so like that really informs what are the few things that would make that possible? I really don't know because I've never done that. Like I know certain things would work, but most of the things I'm doing right now are probably a waste of time, right? Um, but I also like, so I could choose 10, 10 million books or I could just choose 10, 10xing my net worth. Those would be two totally different goals, right? And those would shape two totally different processes. And so uh, your goal does shape your process. And so it's helpful to say, well, which one matters more? You know, back to my whole idea of keystone goal, which one, if I went for, would actually solve everything else I'm trying to do? 10, 10 million books is going to lead to me and having a totally different business strategy in life than going for 10xing my net worth or even just writing 10 times better books, right? Maybe that's what I go for. Again, the future is a draft right now have your best current approach. And then maybe over time, you might help shift the goal because maybe by shifting the goal, now all of a sudden the process becomes a lot clearer and better. 
And so just always be open to the fact that your goal can change and that the 10 and, and choosing the 10 X matters. I don't know if you had a follow-up or, um, but I do want to, I do want to share a framework about clarifying the 80%, which has hit me like a ton of bricks. I know we only have like five more minutes. I just want to make one quick statement. You said in chapter four, like 10 X is, is about better, not bigger. And I, I mean, I think you just kind of encapsulated that yeah. there, but I just wanted to say like that really hit home for me. So that just a comment. A yeah. Well, I mean, how I look at better versus bigger is I look at, um, sorry, one sec. Let me make sure I'm in the right spot. Okay. Yeah. I really, I have to leave in five minutes myself. So, um, so, uh, like better, not bigger, how I look at that. And this is how I really look at 10 X. And I told, I talk about it a ton, ton, ton through the book is that it's qualitative, not quantitative, although it can lead to quantitative stuff, meaning quantitative means 10 times bigger. Um, but like qualitative, and I use the example in the book of Steve Jobs, like he took music, which was CDs back in the 90s, and he turned it into an iPod. That's qualitative transformation. And now with taking CDs and stripping out the 80%, you don't have to go to the store anymore. You don't have to buy one CD when you really only wanted one song. You don't have to you know carry around discs. No, but he digitized it. He, he transformed it into iPods and now you can buy the songs digitally and you can carry them all in your pocket. That's a qualitative transformation. That's that's better, not bigger, but it leads to infinite potential upsides. Yeah. Right. And so I think that that's a good way of looking at your 10 X is, is it's your CD and what's, what's the iPod version of you? What's the 10 X better, but opens up 10 X bigger. Um, so I, here's the thing I want to share about wasting time and about being in your 80% this is something I, and, and don't be in the gap about this. Like, let's try not to be in the gap about this. I, I'm, I'm still kind of learning this. And I, so I'm not trying to say that you are, you're all wasting your time, but um, this is a model about the four main ways that people waste their time. And, um, and again, this is kind of gapish language. And so try not to like, feel like a loser when I say this, cause it, it, it fits with me too. And this is just kind of what I learned from Bernard, Alan Bernard. And he's one of my good friends. Who's really brilliant. So he said, here's the four major ways that people waste their time. The first thing is that they're doing the wrong things. And when I say wrong things, what I'm saying is, is that these are the two X things. These are the 80% things that either are not taking you towards your goal or they're actually taking you, they're either taking you, you away from your goal. Like these could be like me, honestly, just blowing my time doing nothing or even being really busy on stuff that isn't really moving me towards my goal or it's stuff that's moving me towards my goal, but so ineffectively, so slowly that like, if I spent all my time doing this, I would never get to my 10X goal. So that's one of the ways people waste their time is just doing the wrong things, which would be 80% things. The second thing is, is that they're not doing the right things. And the right things are those very few things that have extreme upside, extreme upside towards the goal. And it's really helpful if you have, if you have an impossible goal, when you make the goal genuinely impossible. If I want to sell a million copies before, if I want to sell 10 million copies in the next 18 months, I fundamentally believe that that's impossible. But if I ask myself, that would be impossible unless what? Unless what? Like what would have to be true? What would have to be true for me to get there? That would maybe open me up to the few things that have really big upside. And so what you, what we, I hope we all want to do is, con, you know, Joe Polish actually always says winners find ways. Winners find ways. Those ways, there's few, you know, who's, high level who's or strategies that have extreme upside. And those are the right things. 
Um, and we want to we want to find more and more of those and get better and better at finding those twenty percent relationships, activities, strategies that have extreme upside. You really only want to do the things that really take you towards the goal. The third way that people waste their time is that they actually are doing the right things, but they're doing them in an ineffective way. How Bernard would say it is write things in the wrong way. But like that could be like me writing the next book. Like that's something that is exciting to me. Like that's in my 20%. But maybe I'm not really doing it very well. Like maybe I'm really not in a flow state or maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it at the end of my day and I'm not really prioritizing it and I'm not creating a lot of space I'm not doing like the free days and the focus days. Like I'm not doing it well and I'm not getting better at it. Maybe I'm not even getting coaching, right? Like it's like, I'm not getting 10X better at those few things that matter. I'm just, I'm doing them, but it, maybe I'm only doing them 20 minutes a week, right? And I'm not doing it very focused. I'm tired. The fourth way that people waste their time is that they don't learn from their experiences. And so they repeat one, two, and three. They keep doing more of the wrong things month after month, month you know? And these are the things that are just wasting their time. They're not moving them forward. They're not finding new and better ways and they're not getting really, really good at doing those few things really, really well. And so I would just say when it comes to the 80%, these are anything that's not dramatically taking you towards your goal that excites the heck out of you and that's really moving the needle. And sometimes it takes time, but I gotta go. I hope that was helpful. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. And just I, I did put in the link, the YouTube video with Greg Sini and his story it. about achieving his impossible goals. I hope you guys watch that. It's crazy. Absolutely. We will. Thank, thank you, ben. you, Ben. Thank you, everybody else for joining. I hope it was useful. I know I didn't get to everyone, but it was fun. And just thank you guys for, for reading the book. You too. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Thank, thanks to, to everyone here. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're looking for even more valuable content and resources to help you grow your business, then we invite you to join our community, Next Level Agents at eXp Realty. By joining us, you'll gain access to exclusive benefits like live trainings, events, masterminds, weekly Zooms, digital downloads, and so much more, all designed to help you grow your business. To learn more and become a part of our community, simply visit kevinandfred.com forward slash contact and get in touch with us today. Of course, if you're not quite ready to take the plunge and join our community, that's no problem at all. You can still access all of our great content for free right here on this podcast. And again, we thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing to bring you valuable insights and more advice in the future.